0: You're listening to the Duncan Tree Foundation Podcast on Wellness Series, where in each episode we discuss the four pillars established by the Duncan Tree Foundation. The pillars are emotional, spiritual, physical, and financial wellness. Like you, we don't have it all figured out. However, what we do have is diverse backgrounds and lots of resources to share. Together, we can heal ourselves and each other. Today's episode is number four, Prospering with Humility. Our guest is Mark Smith, State Farm Broker and owner of Mark H. Smith Agency in Farmingdale, New York, and our host and founder of Dunkin' Tree, Weta Duncan, MBA. Hello and welcome to the Dunkin' Tree Foundation podcast. Tonight, we have the pleasure and honor of interviewing Mr. Mark Smith of Mark A. Smith Agency. He's a State Farm broker. He's based out in Farmandale, New York. And he's been in the insurance and financial services business for over 30 years. Mark employs a professional team of licensed representatives who provides assistance to his insurance customers. He is a graduate of Adelphi University, class of 1979. So if you have any Adelphi folks out there, you wanna say hello, hello, hello mark has a degree in business administration he's also the past president of the farmingdale rotary club where he was the recipient of the paul harris fellow award service above self which i love I when i read that i thought to myself that sounds like us right so you're one of our people mark is actively involved in the moments golf club which is a non-profit, and the group raises money each year for deserving high school students going to college, and they award five to ten scholarships annually. Mark is a proud father of four, like myself. He resides in Melville with his family, and I just want to officially welcome him to the show. Good night, Mark. How are you?
1: Pretty good. Everything is good. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, thank you for saying yes. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Mark, one of the reasons I wanted to interview you was, first of all, we've met each other so many years ago now. So over 15 years ago, I believe. And I remember your calm demeanor. I remember a person that had a lot of self-confidence and still does. You know, for me, you haven't changed since the moment I met you 15 years ago. And that quiet confidence, that generous spirit, and um. I would love for you to tell our audience about who you are and how you became the person you are today.
1: Well, um, I was born in Jamaica, West Indies. Um, my first 16 years, um, I lived in Jamaica. I migrated to the United States in, uh, at, when I was 16 years old. Uh, my mom had came before to get a job, and she uh, got all our kids about four or five years after she migrated. When I came to the United States, I uh, went to uh, high school in the Bronx, DeWitt Clinton High School, all-boys school at the time. Uh, Right now it's co-ed. Got a track scholarship from DeWitt Clinton. I was in my my senior year in in school, so I got a scholarship to Adelphi. There I spent uh, four years um, on the track team, and I was able to get... uh, a college education as a result got married in my junior year in college uh, my wife at the time she uh, was graduating as a registered nurse uh, the following year we had uh, a son he's now 43 years old this year he works uh, with uh, JP Morgan wow. vice president so uh, when I graduated at Delphi I landed a job with a commercial bank uh in New York as a management trainee. Uh as a trainee, you know, you went through different parts of banking. Uh eventually I became a branch manager at an early age. I was about 25 when I became uh, 26 when I became branch manager in Long Island. Did that for a while and I was always aspiring to have my own business. So uh when I got my real estate license thinking that at some point I'd become a commercial residential real estate broker. Uh, During that time, I met uh, an agent from State Farm uh, while I was working in the bank as a manager. He introduced me to his uh, sales manager. They showed me a business plan and some numbers. Uh, I left the bank and started a career with State Farm. So I've been with State Farm now uh, since 1988 to present. I have uh, licensed team members. Uh, We have uh, clients that we've had since the last 35 years. Uh, I would say 50% of my clients I've had 35 years ago. And it's a very interesting business. Uh, We have a lot of fun uh, taking care of our customers. My office is in Farmingdale. Um, I have my own uh, building. Part of it I rent out to others. And I'm very excited to do what I'm doing. Wow,
0: so that's that's a lot. So you so basically your your trajectory just like one thing led to another, which led to another, which led to another. So let's unpack all of what you just said, Mark. So you are originally from Jamaica. Yes. So shout out to all the yardies out there, <laughs> fellow yardies, right? Oh yeah. And you, your mother was a single mom, and she was working you know, doing her best to take care of her children um, by herself. And she migrated to the U.S., prepared a way to, to bring her children up with her. And then eventually when she was able to, she she brought you all up here. And so the migrant story that you basically have to start over again, your case, you came as a as a high school senior. So it's not not as if you had to start over, except you had a whole new group of friends.
1: Yeah, well, actually, I didn't have that many friends because, you know, I was new to the school. It was my last year in school. So you just made the track team and you started, you know, meeting the guys on the team. And uh, you see one or two guys in certain classes. You get to know them a little bit. But it was so quick. One year went by so fast. I was just focusing on getting a scholarship.
0: Wow. Growing up, I used to be an semi-athlete nothing close to what you did and there's so many young people out there who don't have the benefit of having that that type of um, track in their life you know pardon my pun for the young people who didn't have the benefit of having a close-knit family that was there for them even when there was divorce involved Mm -hmm. how do you advise those people who don't necessarily have a support system an emotional support system and a financial support system. What would you you say to those people?
1: What I would say to uh, the young people, uh, those people uh, in middle school, uh, whatever their circumstances might be, and maybe it's not the same for everyone, but one has to stay focused. When I was growing up, it was probably a little bit different. Right now, there are a lot of distractions. Uh, with, with kids, you know, with the cell phone and, and the tablets. That's occupying all their time. During my time, you had less of that. So we we're more focused on, on our books, reading, surrounding myself with my friends who uh, were thinking the same way I was thinking. They were uh, playing soccer, for example. So we'd play soccer together. So we'd have like a group of guys. And you build a relationship like that. We'd practice track and field. And it would be the same people in your village or the town where you live. We look at each other every day. We're so close-knit that we did everything together. So we didn't think about our parents as much. We just wanted to see our friends. We wanted to go and play sports. We'd go to school and we'd be competitive, trying to uh, be the best we could be in, in class because that was expected of us when we were growing up. And I'm sure today there are a lot of children or kids were going through the exact same thing their focus—it's a little bit different now because their parents take them to the games, uh, to the soccer game, and to the basketball game. Uh, their parents are spending a lot more time with them. If they have parents at home doing that with their homework, making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. I didn't have that luxury, to be honest with you. So my thing was just focusing on my friends doing sports, going to school, and making sure that I'd read all the different chapters in the subjects making sure that I'm going over it, these chapters on a regular basis because there was nothing else to do. So that kind of motivated me to be who I am today.
0: I'm gonna take you into the, the middle part of your story and then I'm gonna kind of go back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So so here you are, you're you know, you're on an athletic scholarship, you're at Adelphi, and there's a there's a certain insulation I I I find that happens when you are an athlete, right on your team or it, within your 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 group of friends or people that you kind of knew kind of in, a, in passing, did you ever witness someone who was struggling emotionally or, or or not really at peace or the same level of confidence that you had?
1: Of course, yeah, we had a couple of guys you've on the track team when I went to Delphi. They're a little bit different, so, you know, we had, we identify that, at least I, I identify that, because, you know, there's this uh, horizontal line, and, you know, one is expecting that everyone should be at that line, right? But as we know, there are some folks that above the line a little bit, a couple notches above, three, four notches, that might be the same on the negative side going down. So, we got to find that balance, understanding who that individual is some guys were like kind of serious they don't like to joke around uh they're always frowning but we'd find ways at least I would to get around that by trying to get to know them and see uh what their background uh what background they came from and nine times out of ten it's just the environment the way they were brought up that make them react the way they react And, and then one would open up and it would be the same for me because they want to know about me And then we'd share ideas. And uh, by the second year in college, you know, uh, everyone understood each other. Um, It's teamwork. And um, you just get to know each person uh, every day, every week. And by the fourth year, you know, we all grew up and uh, we looked at things differently.
0: Okay, so. It sounds like you identified fairly quickly when someone was struggling and or they were a little bit antisocial or they weren't necessarily as confident as you and your cohort mate were confident. So where would you say your confidence comes from?
1: You know, since uh, when I grew up in Jamaica, like my mom, as I mentioned before, I didn't tell you the year, but she migrated in 1967. So living in a village in Jamaica and looking at different situations, I knew what I wanted to do from my peers, older older guys that went to school before me. I saw what they were doing. I knew the person I wanted to be. I wanted to be a successful person. All right? I don't think I'm the only, there's a lot of confidence all over the world with no matter where you're from. But I, In Jamaica, for some reason, there's this confidence that I don't know where it's coming from. I don't care if you have no money. I don't care how poor you might be. It doesn't matter. It's just this confidence that you can do. Uh, No one is better than you. Uh, You could do that. You could do it as well. And uh, you wanna achieve this goal, whatever the goal might be. So I knew no matter my situation when I was younger, I knew where I wanted to be. And nothing was going to stop me. You know uh, I didn't have that setback about someone is doing something to me because growing up in the islands you know we don't talk about a lot of stuff we just look at things for whatever it is and we just kept it moving so I brought that same mentality to the United States when I came here and I think that kind of helped me with with confidence the way I approach things the way I speak to people I don't care who it is Uh, it could be the president I'm going to be respectful I'm going to treat someone the way they treat me and that's basically how I kind of live my life.
0: And that's something that I know to be true. And let me tell you why I know that to be true. Because my my sisters, I have uh, three older sisters, and um, one of them actually dated a track star. And both of you remind me of each other. You have the same swagger, the same quiet confidence, the same kind of, you know, you can tell that this is a powerful person from their demeanor. So... If you were to go back to your your high school in the Bronx Mm -hmm. tomorrow and you would run across a couple of kids, let's say they're talking to each other, you know, on their way home or whatever, and one of them is coming across as a little bit arrogant and cocky, another one's coming across as confident. How can you tell the difference when someone is being cocky versus confident?
1: You know, um, that's kind of trying to relate to you know when i went to school in new york in the bronx um it it was a little bit different for me just taking the the number four train every day that was something new to me also but didn't have many friends because i was new so i just kind of had my book bag there are a lot of guys who are comedians and girls you know because that's their nature right they're they're like the life of the party they like to tell all the jokes and you know, some people might try to uplift people. Some people will make another person feel bad. The The confidence part is different from that because I, I find that when someone is confident, you know, they're not moved easily. You know, they could stand their ground. Um, they're always thinking, expecting what might happen. You know, you have to anticipate that. Kind of hard for me to to, to kind of differentiate that as I'm trying to do the best I can to explain that. Mm. So
0: if you were to talk to one of your grandchildren today and you say to them, you know, this is how I would define someone who's confident and this is how I would define someone who's cocky, what would you say?
1: I would say um, the cockiness would probably come more in the way one would carry themselves. Like a lot of kids today, you know, who has the best sneakers, who has the best jeans, uh-huh. uh, who's wearing the best clothes and, and, and jewelry, Unlike us, when we went to school, we had uniforms, right? Confidence is just being who you are. And you could tell by the way you stand up, the way you look at someone, the way you perceive things, you know. And one could see that just by the way you're standing and you're respectful. Uh, it doesn't, you know, I don't care how small you are or large you might be in terms of structure when you're six seven or you're 5'10". Uh, you know, a guy 5'10 could be very confident and one would look at him and they'll just know that that's a confident guy. You could just tell by looking. Got it. You know, it's that expression. It's, it's, uh, it's your body language. And I, I think that's what it is. And um, a lot of people look at me and say, Mark, you know, you're confident. And it's not like I'm trying hard, but I just know at an early age, this is where I have to be. So it
0: sounds like confidence is an absence of fear that is true there's a certain level of comfort within your own skin there's a, there's a tremendous level of comfort within your own skin yes and that you see yourself as equal to everyone around you you don't see anyone greater or smaller that that we're, we're all the same
1: that is correct you know we're all the same it doesn't matter
0: then it, it sounds like cocky would be that you see yourself greater because of the possessions that you have and you want to flaunt them in front of people, which to me, there's an underlying sense of insecurity there. That is correct. You're overcompensating for a, a, a lack of feeling confidence. So you're, you're trying to impress people in a very artificial way.
1: Yeah, by- I see that a lot of people who do that you know, with cockiness, they don't have much and whatever they're doing it's making them feel good because there's nothing behind it. You know, that's that's what the cockiness. But when you have something as far as confidence and uh, caring and, and loving, then that just kind of comes out. And everyone should see that and know something is different. They're not sure sometimes what it is, but something is different because you're not doing a lot of talking. You know, exactly. you're not talking and you're not, you know, being flamboyant and you're not telling and showing and telling. You just don't, even though you could show and tell if you were that kind of guy, but that's cockiness, confident. You don't have to say nothing. You just have to be humble.
0: I love that. And, and the, you know, tonight's conversation is, is called humbly prosperous, right? Prospering through humility. And that's something that I, I completely associate with you. So now, now that we're, we're going to go a little bit further in your journey that you you know, you decided to pursue business when you're in college. Um, so, so I have a two-part question for you. What got you interested in business? And can you tell the, tell our audience why you got interested and who are some of your idols uh, in business, present or past?
1: Well, you know, to be frank with you, when I went to Adelphi on a scholarship, you know, you were young, you just got to the United States. Uh, so you did a couple uh, courses, you know, like... Uh, You know, electives, you know, you're just trying to feel your way through because it was a new environment to me. So uh, my first year or so, personally, I wasn't sure as to what I wanted to do. I just don't have a scholarship. I'm getting used to the system. I was in track and field. Oh, maybe I'm going to go back to Jamaica and be a track coach and coach a national team, a high school teacher. You know, no one was guiding you as far as the possibilities. As I went through school, my third year, I met this lady. Uh, we got married. She was the one that actually said, look, you need to do some business courses. It's much better than trying to go work in school or be a track coach, you know, things like that. So I started thinking. Of course, I was young, 18, 19 years old. Uh, so I just started taking a lot of business courses, you know, all the course stuff, economics, you know, financial accounting, accounting one and two, business law, all the business courses we need to do. And I uh, found out I, I loved it, you know, and I, I got some good, you know, grades. I was getting A's in that. So um, that kind of like led me to start thinking business. So I started working for the bank as a trainee. And I uh, just took one step, started learning things and understand things better because I'm developing and I'm growing. I'm 21 going on 22. So that's what led me start my business career
0: excellent and so you you basically you know based on relationships that you developed in school so let's fast forward mm-hmm. now you're approached by the State Farm approach here or did you approach them um, when it came to starting your own brokerage firm
1: well when I was working in the bank as a manager uh, I met the State Farm agent so he was uh, making deposits every two weeks and very significant uh deposits i'm like we're working in a bank and what he's doing is like probably half you know like six months salary you know and he's doing this every two weeks so at that time i'm like wow what is he doing so we started to have a conversation um he introduced me to some uh people at state farm and you know i did a resume uh, had a bunch of interviews um it was like a six-month process you know uh, to get my licenses Various tests, various exams, and then we finally made a deal. And then I started. So, my customer was the one who inspired me to start to look at State Farm.
0: Wow. So the fact that you were paying attention, because you know how some people are working in a in a particular job, yeah, and they're just doing their job day to day to day to day, and they're they're completely satisfied. So it sounds like there was there was a part of you that you noticed, like, wow, this person. You know, look at the frequency they're coming in, and look how much money they're depositing.
1: Exactly. Maybe,
0: maybe there's an opportunity there for me. So, your antenna was up. It was. And then you you actually approached him and said, "You know, let let's let's talk," right?
1: Absolutely.
0: So, so it sounds to me like the the I should I'm not going to put words in your mouth. What <laughs> advice would you give to people who are living paycheck to paycheck? okay um, they have let's say you know family of of three let's say a single mom with two children one boy one girl they're in high school and they're barely making it how how would you advise that family to help lift themselves out of their situation
1: i would say to that person try and further your education if you don't have a you know try and get a, a bachelor's or If you have a bachelor's, try and get uh, a master's, whether it's an MBA or whatever you might be doing. But never limit yourself. And you might think that thing, that age, uh, you're at a certain age and it's too late, but it's never too late, right? If you want to pursue something and you like it, for me, working all these years was like fun to me. I never saw it as work, so I enjoy it every day. I mean, I would get in early, I'd leave late, right? But you have to find something that It's going to take you two years to accomplish X so you could get to Y, right? So whatever you like, you got to find something that you like, and it's never too late. Whether you're in your 30s or your 40s or even early 50s, it's never too late. Two or three years to groom yourself into something that you want to do that's special, that you're going to laugh and have fun with, all right? And you'll know exactly where the money, uh, the numbers are in, in that field. You could still do it, right? So you go to school, whether it's online or on the weekends, do whatever you have to do, but you never stop climbing, right? Find something that you like, whether it's a business, if you're good at something, you know, explore it, come up with a plan, you know, seek help from somebody who's doing it, talk to them about it. You know, like like, like me, for example, right? I always thought that it didn't make a difference what type of work I was doing, right? I'd have to... It'll be in love with what I'm doing, right? So every time I get up, every morning I get up, it doesn't matter. I just can't wait to get there, right? I could put 12 hours in, and it doesn't make a difference to me because it's something that I, that I like, something that's going to help others. I could train people like in my business right now. I have a lot of uh, younger people that's working in it, so I'm grooming them. I'm, I'm, I'm helping them and showing them what I had to do. I'm like a mentor to them. They're working for me because I want to see them aspire to be the same as me, to be better than me, to do the same exact thing if they so desire. So every day when I meet with these folks, you know, uh, I'm telling them, look, you're ready to take on your own because I empower those people, right? Everything that I'm doing, I'll show them step by step, allow them to do it, and they're doing fantastic. So it doesn't make a difference where you are in life. Find something that you want to do. Something that's, um, it could be something that would be self-employed where you'd be able to produce and, and provide a service to others, all right, where you could generate uh, your own uh, income. Whatever it might be, whatever you're good at, just take a deep look. And when you find that and you love it, then you could do anything you want to do and be successful at it.
0: That's good. Some people will say, you know what, Mark, you're fairly well off. It's easy for you to say because, you know, you you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. You don't have to worry about, you know, your car getting towed or anything like that or, you know, being impounded. Um, So for those people who are struggling, how would you bring them back to center about money and the value of money and as a way of lifting themselves up out of poverty?
1: So one way to do that, I found that, you know, a lot of people do a lot of spending, right? Everybody wants to buy and they they spend a lot of consuming a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of goods, you know, clothing, uh, always spending every day trying to spend, you know, I don't care how small a salary, save at least 10%, all right? Of course, you want to make a lot more, so you got to figure out how you're going to do that, Right. But, you know, you got to cut down on the spending side and start saving more, right? You need uh, a certain amount of money to live, pay your rent, buy food, take care of your family. So if X amount is not cutting it, then you, you realize you're probably going to need four times the amount. So we, we got to come up with a strategy, right? So whatever that strategy is, you got to start writing down things and brainstorming and come up with a solution in terms of what am I going to do? And I know it's very hard because I'm just telling. And when a person is in a situation where they're thing, they're stuck, it's kind of hard. So they have to find someone who they could talk to, who could uh, extract all the information, the pros and the cons, figure out what's going on, and, and, and kind of talk to people or someone who knows, a professional or a friend or someone who's doing well. Because I do this all the time with, with, with other people asking the same question. And we'll just sit down and see what it is. And and sometimes folks are way over in terms of expenses and what they're making. It's hard to figure out how they're surviving, right? But you have to put this in writing, you have to write everything down, and then we'd have to just make changes. You know, it's very hard to tell someone, like you said, uh, who's struggling to make payments or getting their car towed or uh, late on their rent, you have to find something different you got to get motivated. you got to try and start your own business or do something on the side while you're working. Try and buy your first home. Uh, Once you have your first home, then you could use that as leverage to uh, do other things, you know, buy other properties. And it's a struggle. It's never easy when you're starting out uh, from zero. But sometimes you need a break, right? Maybe you could get a loan. SBA loan, uh, they have these kind of loans and grants that some people get, but you need something, but you can't stop. You got to keep on talking, talking to individuals. And eventually you're climbing out of this hole. You know, you just keep on climbing because you're in a hole, but you got you can't stop, right? You just got to keep on fighting, right. figuring it out, less spending.
0: So you, you said something just now that is very important. You said, you know, as, Best as you can, try to, first of all, get more discipline.
1: That's right. To get stop, discipline.
0: Stop spending money on material things that dep- have a depreciating value. Yeah. Uh, invest in something that has an appreciating value. So I'm a 20-year member of the Greater Allen Amy Cathedral, which is in Queens, New Queens. York. And I don't know if you know my pastor or my former pastor, Reverend Floyd Flakes.
1: Yes, he was a congressman, wasn't he? He was
0: a congressman. He was the president of a college. He was also the head of the church. So he had three jobs. So he, you know, I think maybe he has some Jamaican ancestors back in the day. Yeah. be like Jamaica. You're not. You not Not a real Jamaican unless you have three jobs.
1: Three or four. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Minimum. And one of the things that he would say on a weekly basis was, "You have to invest in appreciating assets." His initiative and they 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 had a huge economic development strategy was to help uplift people out of poverty and so home ownership in southeast Jamaica Queens went up exponentially under his leadership and and these were people that were you know average income maybe somewhere between fifty and seventy thousand dollars a year. so we're not talking people that were making a ton of money but back then the property values were a lot less. so what I'm hearing you say is for those who are out there listening and who might be struggling financially? Really, take an inventory of your life. Ask yourself the question: What is it I really want out of life? Do I want to continue on the struggle bus? Do I want to have to worry about how I'm going to pay the gas bill or the light bill? Or you know, what do I really want for my future? And come up with a plan, right? So, me as a single mother of four daughters, you know, each of them went to college. It wasn't easy for me as a mother. I was working in advertising. I was making decent money, so even making a hundred and twenty, whatever thousand, I was making or hundred and thirty thousand.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That money is like is like dust.
1: <laughs> it's like, yeah, after taxes, right?
0: After taxes and expenses, and you know, childcare and food and transportation and laundry. By the time you turn around, it's like, oh, where did the money go, right? Absolutely. And so, what I'm I'm curious about. You said that the this, this State Farm agent was coming to the bank every week or every two weeks and depositing money. On average, how much of a deposit was it that it got your attention? Like on, on average, let's, let's say every two
1: weeks. Right, so back in the 80s, right, uh, late 80s, from 85, I'd say, to 88 when I started, you know, if you were making in the bank $70,000 a year as a manager, that was a lot of money back then, <laughs> you know, because homes – uh, we were like fifty thousand dollars for a house, right? So everything seemed, was very was somewhat relative. Uh, so here you know you're making seventy grand and take taxes out, you're to bring them x amount. But if you have someone coming in, and every two weeks you know they could come in with, uh, the, you know you have funds going in about 35, 40 grand every two weeks that make you you know you, you know, hey what's going on you know. Someone is working really hard. They they have their own business and they're working hard. So if you saw thirty five or forty grand every two weeks during that time, it was a lot of money. That's like eighty grand for the month back then, and you do like seventy for the year. You you know what I'm saying? Right. So when you see when you saw those numbers, you know you woke up and figured out what's going on. Maybe if I go out and, and really work hard on my own, be my own boss, I could create my own destiny. Same was true with with real estate or any 1099 that you're doing. When you're working for a company, you know you're on a W-2. Um, you gotta be there at a certain time, leave at a certain time. Uh, but the 1099 guys, you know, like uh, in financial world, they're creating their own destiny, um, and that's what that's what motivated me.
0: Wow. So you know what, Mark? I I, I just in the interest of time and respecting your time. I would love it if this would be an ongoing conversation because what I would love to be able to do is literally go under the hood and you walk us through, you know, as often as you would like to come on and tell us, this is how you would approach someone who has X amount of income and they have a limited amount of money that they they want to, they're able to put into a life insurance policy, why it's important. And maybe we can touch on it briefly now before we go. Well, why, is it, why is it important to, to have a life insurance policy? Let's start there.
1: Well, it's important for life insurance, especially with, with, uh, when you're young, because it's, it's very inexpensive. It's very cheap to purchase life insurance when you're young, right? So what happens, you know, someone is um, married. You have a married couple. Uh, they got married like an early age, 25 years old, 30 years old. Uh, they're starting to have children. They have a home it's very important to get life insurance because God forbid something happens to either, either party, husband or wife. Um, husband passed away, accident, whatever, natural causes. So now the, the mother is stuck with uh, uh, the mortgage. Uh, she has two kids and there's nobody else there to take care of those expenses. So that's where life insurance comes in. So if you have a life insurance policy for 30 years, for example, uh, and it's a term policy, Right. It's locked in 30 years, the same premium for the next 30 years. Then after 30 years, the kids are grown. You know, Most people are getting ready to retire. They have a pension. They have a Social Security if they're working with W-2. And they might say, you know what? I don't need life insurance anymore because I have enough money in my savings. Uh, I, uh, I prepared for uh, final expenses. God forbid something happens. And it's 30 years down the road the kids are grown, both people uh, survived, and life goes on. Some folks will still have life insurance policy because they locked it in at an early age so the premiums stay the same, for example, in a whole life policy, and it's building up cash value from the dividends. So they'll hold on to that. So that's why it's important to have life insurance, and it's important when you're younger because when you're old and you, you have sicknesses, uh, like certain type of illnesses or disease, you can't get it. You just don't qualify for it. And if you do get it, it's at a premium, sometimes four or five times the amount. Right. So I,
0: I remember years ago, I was dating someone. Um, their, the family was from North Dakota. So they were like Irish, Norwegian, German. The father retired at 50. He was a life insurance agent for surety life. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they were under the Sears family of, Financial. Okay. And I was 25 years old and my daughter was born. And I I got life insurance. And I paid into it for a while. And then I, I ran into hard times. And then I, I had to let it lapse. You know, so had I still had that policy now, it would have been paid off already, right?
1: If it was a whole life policy, uh it, it would it have was, been paid off. Yeah. You'd have had dividends in it. Some people borrow the dividends. And sometimes they can't even pay back. Sometimes, and if they don't, then it just becomes a loan, and and it goes on to the loan, and eventually it eats up all the dividends. You know, some people do that. Life insurance is is uh, is an excellent thing. When you're working for a job on a W two, most companies give a term policy for as long as you work on the job. Sometimes it's twice the amount of your money's salary, four times the amount of your money's salary. That's what happens. Right. So most jobs do offer life insurance to uh, employees.
0: Right. And I think a lot of people get a little bit distracted by that. So maybe maybe we can end on this and then then I'll do a little bit of a recap.
1: Mm
0: What is the difference? Because a lot of people rely on life insurance policies through their place of work versus paying for it separately. Can you talk about the pros and cons of that?
1: You know, when you leave that job. You no longer have life insurance. So as long as you're on the job, you know, you'll have that term policy, twice the amount of your amount salary, four times your amount of your salary, whatever it might be. But if you leave that job tomorrow, that's it. You no longer have life insurance. And now you're older. You might have some kind of illness that prevents you from getting a good rate. So it's always good to lock something up on your own. Especially term, because term is very cheap, inexpensive.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. So for those who are listening, um, and this conversation will continue, um, we want to just mention that Mark A. Smith is here with us from State Farm Agency, the Mark A. Smith State Farm Agency. And Mark, what is your website?
1: Okay, it's markasmithagency.com.
0: Markasmithagency.com.
1: Yes. Or if you go to State Farm, and just uh, once you go to State Farm, you locate an agent, put my name in, Mark Smith in Farmingdale, it pops up. The State Farm site also.
0: Perfect. So what we learned from you tonight, Mark, is that in spite of having a situation where your parents divorced,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you had the benefit of having an insular family that took care of you and, and loved upon you and, and and nurtured you.
1: Mom, my mom. She was a matriarch. She was a you, Moms today, I got to give moms a lot of props because... If you look back at most uh, families, the woman is always there. And they're always making sure that your children aspire for greatness. Yes. And they put a lot of work in. So that's why, you know, you always love your mom. You're always going to, no matter what, because mom is always there. You know what I'm saying?
0: Right. And, I, and I, I know that your mom passed not too long ago. So I want to just respect her memory and, you know, say God, God rest her soul. in eternity. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, we also talked about your grandmother and how influential she was in your life. And the fact that you were an athlete, <clears throat> that also gave you a purpose. That gave you a focus that gave you another community that you belong to. And that athletic strengths that you had translated into getting an athletic scholarship, even as an immigrant, right? That is as, correct. And as an immigrant, but especially as an immigrant. And then you go off to Adelphi university and while you're there you get interested in business and you realize that you know pretty early on that you want to run your own business and then you go off into banking
1: that's right that's correct
0: and then while you're at the bank you see somebody coming in on a pretty regular basis with some big fat paychecks and you're like wait a minute what what is this person doing and then the rest is history we didn't even touch on the fact that you play golf and you're an avid golf player but I, I definitely want to talk about that some more the next time we meet
1: yeah, wow. absolutely. I'm more than happy to do that. I know it's kind of, you know, I don't do this on a regular. So I'm, I'm kind of, it seems like I'm holding back a little bit, uh, kind of like, you know, groping a little bit for words. <laughs> but as I get more familiar with this, then I can express myself much better. So.
0: Absolutely. You Alrighty. did. Mark, you did excellent. The, the thing is that, that my big takeaway from tonight is to be humble, to take a self inventory and look at yourself and your priorities that if you come from an environment that is not healthy and it's not supportive, and if it's not prosperous, find your tribe outside of that environment. Find people who will help to pour into you, who will listen to you, who will give you the emotional support that you need in order for you to shift your perspective. If you are in a situation where you only have a high school diploma, look for ways that you can aspire to get a college degree. If you have an undergraduate degree, look for ways to aspire to get a master's or MBA so that you continue to uplift yourself. If you are feeling insecure about yourself and that you wind up overcompensating by being arrogant and being cocky and investing in material things that have depreciating value, take another look at that and look at ways to put that aside and to look for ways to invest in appreciating assets. Because those are the things that you can leave as a legacy to your children those are the things that will grow in value and that you can sell and use the proceeds to get your property or whatever you do and also to buy insurance policies when you're young.
1: When you're young and have a family it's very inexpensive you're protecting your family God forbid something happens you know we never know when something could happen to anybody and it's very important that you know you'd leave, something for your kids so they could continue to live and thrive and grow and be better than the parent, for example, in terms of not struggling as much.
0: Amen. Now, Mark, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish that you, you, you could touch on tonight before we go?
1: No, I think you, you, you covered a lot of stuff. You know, my basic philosophy is it's, it's when you look at two sides, it's always positive and never negative, no matter what. So right. when you find yourself getting negative my think personally. I'm not speaking for everybody because not everybody thinks about this, but the 23rd psalm is what I'd like to, that's my go-to or the Lord's prayer. So if I'm feeling dismayed or feeling down, like you have a right to sometimes, I just recite that to myself. And all of a sudden, all my worries are gone, right? So I want to be on the right side, not on the wrong side. I want to love. I don't want to hate. I don't want to deal with uh, law enforcement, so i stay out of that situation so you have no records. Uh, I want to maintain a good credit. I don't want anybody calling me, so I want to make sure I have a good or decent whatever credit score. You know, Stay away from the lawyers and the, and, the, and the judges because they'll have control over your life. So you try and go stealth, doing all the right stuff. It's, it's, like, you, it's like you're in a game. You know, You're trying to not get tackled. So you're just staying away from all the trouble. You're just on the peripheral, just keep on going. Stay focused. Be kind and loving to others. Treat people the way you'd want to be treated. And that's my philosophy. I'm not sure it's good for everybody, but that's how i live my life. And stay confident.
0: Well, you know what? It's worked for you all these years, Mark. And I'm, I'm sure there are people listening that can take a lot away from what you shared with us tonight. I just want to acknowledge you for your time and and your efforts and the fact that you're just one of the coolest men I know on the planet.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: Have a good night, Mark. Have a good night, everyone.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.